Oh. Um, there'll be a, a brief intro. And welcome to We Didn't Start the Fire, a podcast at the intersection of business, technology, and society. My name is Theo Priestley, and I have with me a very special guest. And I'm going to read this bio out in some kind of sort of movie trailer voice here because it is rather fantastic. Have you ever taken a late night stroll, slowly ambling past sights familiar and friendly that, in the eerie moonlight, seem a touch more ominous than normal? And have you, upon advancing a few steps forward, a curious patch of darkness along that street, noticed a set of glowing orbs hovering in the darkness like a pair of ghastly eyes? So have I. Those were the eyes. The eyes of Albert Millis. He owns the night. Albert also owns some tasteful footwear, but mostly he owns the night. His other claims to fame are that he's been suspended recently from LinkedIn and has the highest accolade in completing Bop It. Fear him. Albert, welcome. Hello. How are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. I'm, I'm pretty good. How are you? It's, it's pretty interesting to hear a bio read back to you. It's one of those things that I, I can't stand actually writing and, and then, yeah, like you say, listening it back. Have you ever seen the uh, YouTube video of people reading linkedin bios no but i can imagine it's cringe and also incredible it's hilarious it really is bad um it's it's worth looking out actually i might actually put the uh, url at the bottom of the podcast uh, blurb because it's 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 definitely worth it how's um, how are you coping in the uh, the current pandemic just now in lockdown not too badly to be fair we we shut our office slightly before the, the government mandated lockdown, maybe a week before. So I think we're on about day 30 of working from home now, if we're including weekends and stuff. And yeah, I've started to get into a flow with it. Uh, we're, we've got really, really good at Zoom calls and talking over WhatsApp with the rest of the team and stuff like that. And yeah, I've been doing so much walking and so much biking like normally I'd maybe do it just at the weekend, but I think because now I only have my my government mandated hour of the outside, I'm now appreciating it a lot more and actually trying to be active every day. You're in uh, Brighton, aren't you? Lovely, glorious, sunny Brighton. So you get access to the beach. Yeah, the uh, the beach is glorious. What is really interesting, actually, you think we've just gone past Easter. Normally, the beach would be filled with old plastic bottles, uh, bits of barbecue, cigarette butts, that kind of thing. You'd like unearth them as time goes on because they filter through the rocks and then slowly as the rocks get moved and stuff, they kind of come up to the surface again. But the beach is so clean. It's pristine and it's incredible. I've noticed that in Edinburgh as well. The the streets are a lot quieter. They seem a, bit, a lot cleaner. Um, the parks are definitely a lot cleaner. Like I've seen lots of tweets as well saying, you know, nature is returning. 
or nature is healing. And and it's actually quite true. You're actually seeing a lot more kind of wildlife. I'm seeing a lot more bees kicking about as well, which is strange. Did you see the did you see the tweet saying that the uh, the pigeons in London are returning back to their natural colour now that there's no pollution? And it was just a picture of two parrots. <laughs> No, but I need to look that one out because that's quite funny. <laughs> and then people so, people are saying stuff like, oh, don't, don't be stupid. Those are parrots. And then the person's uh, commenting underneath being like, no, nature is healing. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> so tell us a bit more about what you do at Virtual Umbrella then. So we we are kind of in a quite a weird position as a business. We We sometimes use the word consultancy where we provide agency services, but a lot of the work we do is consulting more than anything. So we operate in this space that sits between uh, creative arts, marketing, technology, and even a bit of like charity and political and like institutions and all that kind of stuff. And we're kind of in this strange center point and it's helping companies either market and showcase their immersive technology solutions or helping businesses and corporations and big companies apply immersive technology within their businesses. So it's like it's marketing for immersive technology and then immersive technology marketing as well, as if they're two separate topics, which is why it's like consultancy. It's a bit of everything. So you've been going for about four years now, is that right? I mean, how did you come across the idea in the first place? So it's actually been five. It was was five. 2015 2015 when we got going we uh, basically so my my co-founder sammy uh her and i we were both at an event called southwest vr which was back in february of 2015 so i was interning for a games company called opposable games and i was there as the marketing and events intern and one of the things we were doing was organizing this southwest vr conference in bristol in the past, it had just been a meetup and it was people who were using the, the original Oculus developer kit and, you know, experimenting, creating games, seeing what cool stuff they could do. And this meetup had got like slightly too big to just be held in a pub anymore. And Dan Page, the organizer, was like, oh, perhaps we organize a conference around this and we get everyone we know from around the country who was doing this kind of stuff to get involved as well. And I was on board helping him organize this. And Sammy was uh, doing social media and marketing for a company called Endreams based in Farnborough. So we were both at this event and we kind of got like a real kind of boots on the ground feel for the, uh, the enthusiasm and like the, how, just how excited people were to be working with this technology and experimenting with this technology. And, you know, there was a whole series of talks during the day and stuff like that. And then her and I just kind of said, there's so many people doing amazing stuff. Someone needs to be out there really talking about this and really helping uh, these developers showcase their work and show what they're doing. So that was kind of the original idea was we were both doing like marketing and events type stuff for companies who are already experimenting with VR. What if we could find a way to impact more businesses and help more businesses doing VR? And that was kind of where Virtual Umbrella was almost born from was from this idea of there's so many people doing cool things we can't just isolate ourselves promoting one or two companies let's try and help as many as we can so the inspiration was always to grow the industry more than it was for us to make money and to 
run a legitimate business with a formal business plan and a go-to-market strategy and all that kind of stuff. It was much more, let's build this industry and let's try and develop something amazing here. Now, the immersive industries, you know, it covers you know, augmented reality, cross-reality or XR, whatever you want to call it nowadays. And you have players like Magic Leap, you have players like Oculus and HTC. You know, where are we in, in that particular cycle? Because depending on what you read, we're either in a boom or we're in this sort of trough of disillusionment because people just still can't figure out what to do with with the tech and the, the, the software the platforms that they have. Yeah, it's a really interesting one because lots of people refer to the to the Gartner hype cycle, you know, the uh, the excitement, the trough of disillusionment, the the enlightenment where popularity and application comes back up again. But I think in reality, we almost need a hype cycle for different industries with uh, with immersive technology and with XR stuff, like all the extended reality stuff, because there are certain companies and certain businesses that are really embracing this technology and they're using it to incredible effect. Big banks doing stuff around soft skills training and relationship management and embodiment training. So being able to use VR to put you in the perspective of someone else in your firm and being able to learn how they react and how different things affect them. And I think they've got like, there's some really, really good use cases for immersive technology out there. But at the same time, there's also a lot of technology and a lot of stuff that is just hugely failing or it's just not meeting the mark. To an extent, you can kind of see it at the moment with Magic Leap, a company that's raised billions and yet they're struggling to find a way to create a sustainable business still from all of this. So there are companies out there who have got sustainable, proven uh, business models and are creating work for big banks and corporations and really succeeding in the space. But at the same time, you're almost juxtaposed by stuff that is still in the super hype stage and is now going into the trough of disillusionment and, yeah, almost failing. So it's kind of a it's kind of a real weird thing. It's almost like we're in like a multi-stage kind of approach with the technology. Does that make sense or have I just confused everyone even more? No, no, it does make sense. I mean, for me, I I see um I see things like augmented reality going mainstream but purely through devices like your mobile phone or a tablet or a small tablet anyway because everyone has one and they're infinitely more accessible than having to buy you know a two thousand dollar headset like magic leap and and it's the same with vr and that vr for me is still an incredibly niche product and industry because of the cost required to invest in it whether it's a personal item or whether it's um, on a business expense and the other side of the coin of that is you have that kind of gap between the technology hardware and then the technology platform that supports it. And I and I still don't see the meeting in the middle at any point in time because one will always be ahead of the other. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's a real interesting space to work in for exactly these reasons. There's certain things that are moving crazy fast and there's always new innovations happening all the time. You know, new people creating new applications using uh AR on the iPhone uh, AR kit or, and then on Android's AR core. So, you know, like mobile phone augmented reality. As, um, there's a really good one 
which I think I saw Lad Bible promoting at the moment, where through Snapchat, it obviously it can measure the distance by looking at the floor. It can guess how far away you are from things. And then it creates a two meter circle around you in augmented reality. So you can see if anyone's coming into your into your safe space. So some really interesting applications for augmented reality. And these are the kind of things that right now I'm seeing like almost every day, something new. And then with virtual reality, I'm still seeing new stuff, but it's gone from being something new every day to maybe something new every week. And we're getting all this creativity going into the applications and the software. But like you said, the the platforms almost aren't able to meet that still. It's where it's quite strange how uh, massive companies like uh, Facebook, they've got all this money behind them, but they're unable to to mobilize fast responses to to what people are doing. So we're seeing lots of people always have issues with the VR hardware and the, the, the main platforms out there. And the only excuse people can give is, oh, well, you know, Facebook, they're, they're a small indie company. They, they're not, they, they can't do very much. They don't have much resource, you know, just sarcastically being like, oh, you know, it's not like they're a massive corporation who can apply more resource to this to make it happen. But so, yeah, it's quite interesting. I think that one of the big, I wouldn't say it's a failing. It's more of a something that hasn't been considered yet that is being worked on is uh, Facebook still haven't quite figured out exactly what they're doing with oculus they spent three billion dollars buying it or two billion dollars buying it i say that like two or three billion is you know just a small difference and there's not a billion dollars between that like that gulf but i don't think they've 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 bought this technology and i don't think they've quite figured out exactly what they're doing with it yet like they're trying to create a social platform and they're also trying to create a business to business and enterprise side of the company as well whereas facebook has never really been an enterprise company. They've done business services through things like advertising, but they've never sold enterprise solutions on like the scale that they're trying to do now with virtual reality. So I think we've got these massive corporations who have bought into the technology, but don't actually have the institutional expertise to be to necessarily be the right ones to push it forward. So it's I think I'm pretty sure it was a couple of years ago now that social VR, the Facebook thing was announced and that kind of you know, um, obviously at the F8 I think it is the developer conference yeah. uh, there was great hype and fanfare about it and then we've seen nothing from it since in a sense and then we've got Workplace from Facebook which is their I guess their enterprise play which is um, instant comms and networking essentially for, for large organisations and that launched with a lot of fanfare, but we haven't heard much about it. And I'm, I'm pretty sure I asked this question about six months ago saying, does anyone actually know what the current state of play is with Workplace? And it is actually still active, which is which surprises me because we never hear anything about it. Um, and so it's clearly sticky with some organizations, but they don't do a lot of advertising for it, which is odd given Facebook's uh, main uh, revenue stream is all about advertising. Yeah. Alternatively, it could be that they're just so good at hyper-targeting that we just never see it because we don't command enterprise-level budgets. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Maybe they're just hyper-targeting the exact right person in every procurement department across big companies across the world. Do you see the the current pandemic then allowing some of this immersive technology to really be pushed to the fore and almost accelerate adoption? 
you know, we're, you know, you've seen the massive hype with Zoom, for example. I mean, you can't deny that. I think everybody is now playing around with Zoom and you've got your special Zoom background, I believe, as well. But, you know, uh, is this a, a great opportunity for immersive technologies, especially for sort of virtual meeting room platforms to to really shine? I think that it could have been a great opportunity for uh, virtual meeting rooms and like businesses using VR and stuff if this had happened in maybe four or five years time. But the problem is that businesses don't have the technology in-house and they don't have employees that are used to using it and comfortable to using it. You know, the actual barriers to adoption and to use for something like Zoom versus something like an Oculus Quest headset. With Zoom, it automatically asks you to download it whenever you open a Zoom link and it's on your computer, which you already own. Whereas if we were trying to get people using VR, we'd have to spend 400 quid per person sending them a headset, then expect them to be able to set that all up download the right applications, and then get everything ready. And there's some still real drawbacks, like you have to spend time typing in your, your email address. And I, you, using, a, using a virtual reality interface for doing that is really difficult because it's like your hands. It's either your hands or it's a, it's a trigger with like, you know, a single point which you, you press. So you have to, you know, do your password, tap, tap, tap tap it's not like you do your normal password on computer so there's still some like barriers in that kind of space but where there has been real demand has been people wanting vr for just being at home so things like fitness or just for entertainment there's been a huge demand for people wanting vr headsets playing things like beat saber or box vr to you know burn some calories whilst remaining indoors and then that has also been hit by a real supply issue because the headsets are made in China and the factories in China are only just still coming online. I think the Oculus Quest only came back into stock last week. So they, so Facebook, and to be fair, every VR company almost got blocked out of this initial demand surge because they're trying to sell hardware, not software like Zoom is. So they have to wait for the factories to come back online and then meet the supply, by which point maybe the demand has tapered off. Maybe people have changed their mind about buying that headset. In, in that sense then, and then that kind of goes back to the point that we were talking about regarding platform, uh, software platforms and the hardware technology. In the last couple of months, you know, I've seen a lot of articles around um, Second Life making a resurgence and and gaining popularity and I remember when it first came out, there were a lot of organizations and corporations who were building uh, mirror images of their office space in Second Life and holding virtual meetings in that. And all you needed was the you know the client software. You didn't actually need any uh, particular hardware for it. That died to death. Second Life sort of still had a, had its community impact and, and kept on going. Uh, from a personal perspective where people lived their lives out in Second Life. And now it almost has seen this weird resurgence and renaissance where organizations are starting to come back to it to create those office spaces or those meeting rooms again. Do you see that platforms like Second Life where you don't require hardware will actually accelerate over virtual reality? So virtual worlds will become, you know, almost second place with 
next to augmented reality and then virtual reality will always be like the the third place also ran that you know the bronze medal winner i think they all serve different purposes uh to most or to some extent virtual worlds have a, a much lower barrier to entry because of the fact that they are just software based you know you can access them from chrome on your desktop or you download an app and then you can go in and you can play it and to an extent, it's kind of the same social experiences, friends who play League of Legends together or friends who jump on a Minecraft server to play Minecraft together. It's uh, it's a social it's a social environment and you're able to chat and you're able to talk to people and all it takes is loading up an application to do it. And because it's uh, it's a virtual world, you're able to remain engaged and you're able to you know, do things together rather than just talking over something like Zoom or actually even that's kind of, you can do that. But something like Discord, you know, where it's just voiceover. With Zoom, obviously, you can you have video and people are doing really innovative stuff like having pub quizzes or playing games. So I'd say even to an extent, Zoom is kind of sitting in almost that same space as a virtual world like Second Life would. If you know, had a little Venn diagram, they'd almost occupy the same space. But Obviously, there are differences. There are people who want to be able to go into different worlds with their friends or they want to be able to play certain games with their friends, which is what you can do in virtual worlds and you can't do through something like Zoom. But it's also worth looking at the fact that Linden Lab, the people who make Second Life, they recently sold off Project Sansar, which was their virtual reality version Mm. of Second Life they were making. They've recently sold off the IP to that to, I think it was a research organization or something. So I think that kind of is quite an interesting indicator about their thoughts on using virtual reality for this social experience and social experiences that Linden Lab make as a company. Yeah, I saw that. And when Project Sansar came out, they made a big PR splash around it being for creators and they they kind of sort of promoted it to people who were wanting to build huge buildings, uh, experiences like uh, walking around some 15th century uh, church that has been demolished but being recreated in, in Project Sansar. And now this year, obviously, it's it's been sold off. And like you say, it's a good indication of uh, – it's, it's a good sort of litmus test and, and temperature reading of the industry in general, I think, um, when you see these things happening. And the same with um, Magic Leap that took in you know, $2 billion worth of investment, it seems to – value itself at 10 billion but doesn't actually have any clients or customers or customer base or even market to be honest going back to a a point you made earlier in the conversation around examples now you mentioned sort of banking banking clients and corporations doing things clever things with virtual and 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 immersive technologies Uh, are there any others that stand out as really good examples of good use cases for immersive technology yeah so for more like business stuff or enterprise stuff, there's really good examples around all sorts of training. So it's not just the soft skills stuff and the uh, the like the embodiment training and relationship management stuff, but it's also learning processes and learning more practical applications. So things like uh, there's a guy from a company called Make Real, who are also based down here in Brighton, who who make VR applications for enterprise. And he his, his the guy's called Robin Scott, and his expression is that it's not all just digging holes and climbing poles, but that's a really good use case for VR. Uh, and it's things like they've they've done a piece for Vodafone 
about working at height and that's not to train uh engineers and uh to go up and fix uh telecoms dishes and stuff it's to raise awareness for other people within the business about the stresses and the strains that their engineers are going through on a day-to-day basis so uh we're a procurement team might hire in some contractors and send them on 11 jobs a day and they'll say oh no we don't need to replace that harness we don't have the budget for that right now that can go into uh next year's next year's budget and we'll get it sorted then but when they go and they do this uh these experiences they're not quite training but they are almost like awareness work they realize just how important the harnesses are and they realize just how much work goes into doing this and they might say actually we're going to get more productivity out of our team by only sending them on six jobs a day and we need to replace these harnesses immediately for for health and safety and things like that that you can tell someone again and again and again but when they when they have a little bit more of a deeper experience with it they're going to understand it more and they're going to it's going to be embedded into them a bit more they feel it on that emotional level not just on a logical level so that kind of stuff's a really good example i think and then there's there's just stuff around uh learning and virtual education there's a company in ireland called vr education funnily enough and they do things where you can put on the headset and you can see the Apollo project or the Apollo missions in VR. And it's like immersive learning. It's a way to teach kids an entirely new way. So that stuff's really interesting as well. I'm trying to think there's loads of use cases out there. And you know, it's almost a question. As soon as someone asks you the question, your brain goes completely blank of all the answers, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, some of the uh, cool stuff that I've seen, um, I've seen, immersive tech being used on oil fields for it's called imr processes which is inspection and maintenance and repair and almost uh, used in line with digital twin kind of initiatives where they have an overlay of the machinery that they're looking to uh, repair or that, that a fault has been um, identified on um, other stuff that i've seen in the past is uh, healthcare is one that i've um absolutely yeah, for uh, pain treatment, for example, where they give patients uh, headsets and whatever they're watching is actually an alternative to using uh, strong medication or or in conjunction with medication, but not obviously as strong as what they they would need. So, the the you know PTSD, I think, is is one of those uh, examples in in healthcare that's been used um, for for VR. So there are there are some exciting ones, but I'm pretty well for, for someone like me who's not fully in in the industry there are they're they're quite hard to dig out whereas for someone like yourself you must you know you'll you'll see them every day yeah i think as well you see that kind of stuff every day but what stays with me more is when i see other people talking about the amazing stuff they've seen like i can see a project announcement i can see a press release but it's when uh someone says to me i uh i went to go get my blood taken and normally I'm so afraid of blood that I pass out. But I put the VR headset on and I was doing a VR meditation and I didn't even feel the needle go in. And it's the first time I've been able to remain conscious whilst they're taking the blood. And for them, it's not like a visual thing because, you know, you can close your eyes, but they still pass out when they have blood taken. But this was the first time they're able to go through the whole experience. And it's stuff like that where it's almost actually changing someone's life a little bit and really impacting them 
Mm. I think that's the really exciting, the really cool use cases and opportunities we see. And I think healthcare is going to be brilliant for that. I mean, you mentioned um, like the where people are using it instead of medications. There's a, it's quite a famous study now. I say famous, it's famous for VR people. Every VR person has kind of heard about it where they had people who were burns victims. And when you train, when you change the dressings of, of burns, it's like a, an insanely painful experience. And what they do is you'd, you'd be in like an ice bath normally, or like a cold bath of water as they change your dressings. But they'd put you, they'd put a VR headset on you and they'd put you in like a, almost like an Arctic environment as well. And it was able to distract people and able to make them feel almost calm enough. And they didn't feel as much pain or as much discomfort from getting their, getting their dressings changed. So some of this technology, like some of these applications, like really have a chance to reduce suffering as well. I think that's just, it's just a super cool use case an example of this technology being used right and for an opportunity and something that could actually really benefit people to, to sort of cap off this discussion then wh- where do you see the the whole immersive landscape you know ar vr xr sort of landing in the next sort of five years as anyone who's predicting the future should always say in reality i've got no idea in terms of where i think this stuff is going i think we are going to eventually reach a point where there is a much larger adoption of virtual reality. And, but I think the actual hardware itself, it's almost akin to computers. Like there are people who call it the fourth wave of computing and things like that, which I hate all that kind of technical gibberish. But it's, it's like people use computers for work and then they got personal computers. They got PCs. I think we could see something like that with virtual reality headsets where people are using them in work and then as that barrier to entry and that almost they they understand the technology more they're used to using it and a bit more of the stigma gets removed around it then people might start using them in their homes for other applications and then with augmented reality i think we're already seeing it's really growing and being adopted and it is just something that people do now you know people just have filters on stuff automatically for for creating content on TikTok, on Instagram, on Snapchat, on Facebook Messenger, people are using filters. And that is, it's really basic augmented reality, but it's still augmented reality. And I think there's been no barrier to adoption there. It's just something that people do now. And it's just, you know, a fun thing. And it's because the barrier to entry had already been overcome by the phone. From there, it's just changing the filter on on Snapchat or whatever. So I think that AR is just going to continue to thrive and continue to grow. And there's always new and interesting applications being used. But I think that it's, I think that for the short term, AR is very much going to be used for advertising and marketing more than anything. So being able to just add an extra channel to your campaign by, you know, creating an AR lens or an AR filter, which you can put on TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and stuff like that. And then more long-term, I think we might start to see, yeah, more deeper applications. But I think that it's, it's, we've got a problem where, you know, everything requires something else to make it happen. Like you see 
the videos of people predicting the future where we'll, we'll all be wearing glasses and you'll walk into the supermarket and you'll be served hyper-personalized ads and you'll be directed to everything that you need in order to like get your shopping done efficiently, fast, but also upselling for the company or for the, the people who are you're, you're buying with. But that stuff all requires an almost general intelligence level of artificial intelligence to kind of make those decisions for you and to understand the context of everything that's going on in your life and the stuff that you need. Like it needs to understand what's in your fridge, what you don't have, what is your normal things that you own, and then be able to translate all of that into an augmented reality experience to push you through. So that's like the long-term future, but there's so many hurdles we still need to reach, I think, to get there. Good answer. <laughs> is there is there one more thing you want to leave the listeners of the show? Um, anything that's not VR related, for example, just general interest, something that you've read, something that you've seen just before we, we finish the podcast? Wash your goddamn hands. Stay two <laughs> meters away from people. Um, no, I think the considering everything going on right now, people should need to remember to be grateful for what they've got. And I know that it's hard and I know that people don't really want to do it sometimes because everyone has a personal social battery, but now is the perfect time for us to be reaching out to our families and chatting to them, saying hello. Uh, like some of us uh, have lost people from, from uh, this virus and, you know, then you're filled with an almost uh, intense level of, of regret and guilt thinking maybe I should have, I should have called them one more time before before this happened or maybe i should have gone to see them before before this happened so it's like let's just remember to to phone up our loved ones say hello just check in with them because at least then when you do also feel that immeasurable level of guilt it might be slightly less knowing you checked in with them fairly recently and is that a good enough downer to end this with (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well it's not really so much a downer. I think it's actually, it's a really good point that I think in the past we've just taken everything for granted. We've taken for granted that we could go outside and just go to a restaurant and spend lots of money in shops constantly, or take our family for granted because they were we expected them to be there, whether they were on the phone or uh, at the end of a WhatsApp message once every two weeks or something like that. And I think this has forced a lot of uh, personal rethink in how people interact with the world and interact with friends and family. And and hopefully when we come out of this, it will drive deeper connections for people, um, social, real social connections rather than, you know, being at the end of uh, a text message or, or a TikTok um, video or something like that. I think it would be nice if we started to feel a bit more human. And I've seen certainly when I've done my um, sort of daily one hour constitutional walk, um, around around the block, everyone that you meet um, uh, meet in the sense of uh, passing by um, beyond two meters smiles and gives you that kind of sort of um, knowing nod and it, and it's actually quite nice because it almost feels like people are starting to ha- adopt a slower pace of life and they appreciate that slower pace of life whereas before you would you would walk past people at hundred miles an hour and not give them a second glance so I'm quite enjoying how this lockdown has slowed people down in a sense as well. And if it stops people taking things for granted, then all the better. Absolutely. I think as well, coupling on to slowing down a bit, I've had to force myself to spend less time on Twitter and less time on Instagram 
just because you know it's filled with so much stuff and it can get a bit depressing or it can really affect your mental health and right now when we're all cooped inside with less things to distract us during the quiet periods of our day the last thing we need is more depressing stuff so i found like just trying to tune out a little bit from social media isn't so bad like i want connections but i also want connections on on my terms i don't just want to hear everything that's happening in the world good point Bertie, where can we find out more about you and um, Virtual Umbrella then? We've got our website, which is, as you can imagine, is, is Virtual Umbrella, but it's .marketing. So www, full stop, Virtual Umbrella, full stop, marketing. Uh, or you can just follow us on Twitter at Virtual Umbrella. Or you can find me all over the internet at Bertaroo. That is just my handle for everything. Twitter, Steam, LinkedIn, if I get back on. Uh, <laughs> everything. Everything is just Bertaroo. So you can just find me on there. That's perfect. Bertie, um, thank you very much for joining me on the uh, We Didn't Start the Fire podcast today. Thank you for having me. That's been the, the this episode for uh, We Didn't Start the Fire. You can find this podcast on uh, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts and others. Please spread the word and subscribe, and we'll see you or hear you next time. Thank you very much. <laughs>